Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies by Coastal Edition. Matt, you are in lovely, sunny Orlando, Florida right now, correct? I am uh, sitting in a Marriott hotel in Orlando, Florida, of all places. This is the final stop on our uh, protracted uh, festival film festival circuit that's been going on for uh, over a year now. Mm-hmm. Broken a few rules on this festival run as you're not really supposed to play. I think a year is supposed to be your window from the mm-hmm. very first festival to the very last festival. Obviously, I've extended that a little bit just by nature of the fact that we had kind of a strange and unique distribution process. But mm-hmm. uh, but I, I applied to this uh, f- film festival in Spain, you know, what, eight months ago or whatever it was. And we sort of got in on a whim just out of the blue, ended up jetting off for Spain earlier this month. And, uh, and then while we were making the preparations for that, we got into this one in Orlando that I'd forgotten I had uh, submitted to. <laughs> so weirdly, October has become sort of like a weird festival travel month for me. I started uh, October at the New York Film Festival. I wasn't actually playing there, of course, but um, I was lucky enough to get to see a few things there. Someday, Matt. Someday. Someday, yeah. But uh, anyway, someday. I saw uh, The Favorite. Saw Roma and saw the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which we can discuss here in the next couple months when you get around to seeing them. Well, wh- wh- why don't you just rank those one, two, three in order of goodness? Roma is legitimately kind of a big deal. Like it's, it might be Coran's masterpiece. I'll just say that it's as good as you as you've heard. Favorite was very funny and very weird, as you'd expect from Mr. Lanthimos. It's a lot more fun than Killing of a Sacred Deer. But it's not nearly... <laughs> How could it not be? Yeah, <laughs> That's true. Uh, a, a, a sharp uh, stab in the eye is probably more fun than Killing of a Sacred Deer. But it's not nearly as kind of like inventive or uh, disciplined as the as um, Dogtooth or uh, The Lobster, which I, both of which I think are superior. Uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is bad. It's a bad movie. Oh, no. And they, they should have left it as a Netflix series. It's it's basically, it's six, it's six shorts and like one and a half of them are good. So, uh, hot take. Well, we'll, I guess we can get some some Cohen talk when when that comes around to to wide release because this this might be a good time to sort of look back and and assess what's been going on for the last 25 30 years yeah it, it's not good uh they were there and they were they gave a very bland q a afterwards it seemed clear to me that they were kind of tuned out a little bit and they didn't really want to answer questions about netflix because obviously there was some weird backroom dealings going on there um mm-hmm. they, they just seemed very flat 
and very sort of like checked out, which was kind of my reaction to the film. But anyway, so after New York, I got on a plane and went straight to Spain to Almeria, which is in the southern part of Spain. And that's where they shot, uh, that's where Sergio Leone shot Fistful of Dollars trilogy and uh, parts of Once Upon a Time in the West. And also most recently, a new Western called The Sisters Brothers was shot there. Yeah. I think it was Almeria and Budapest, I want to say, because it's, it's, it's all set in Oregon, right? You saw it recently. I saw it recently. It is all set in Oregon. Uh, it doesn't look like any of it was filmed in Oregon. No, I think it's, I think the deserty stuff is all in Almeria. And I think some of the more quote-unquote Pacific Western-ish stuff is all, I want to say Budapest or Romania, perhaps somewhere in Eastern Europe. Yeah, definitely a European production. Uh, one of the most amazing uh, pre-movie uh, screens. It had like yes. tw- 25, 30 different production companies banded together to make that weird-ass movie. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy sign of the times. Uh, sometimes I watch that and I think to myself, oh my God, how am I ever going to get another independent film made in my <laughs> life? I mean, you have to literally, unless you're a Marvel movie or a, you know, or a Star Wars movie, you, you have to just literally go hat in hand all over the world to all these different financiers Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i think it's just going to keep getting worse i think that's going to become the norm it felt like a joke i think it got a laugh in the theater i was in actually yeah and then you went to went to florida yeah so now i'm ending this trip in florida no disrespect to florida but uh i gotta say it's pretty hard to pretty hard to measure up to spain it's a third rate spain basically (laughs) but it's a very nice festival it's the orlando film festival unfortunately tonight is our screening so as you hear this it'll be too late for anybody to uh, to come out for the screening i had forgotten that orlando is a college town university of central florida is here it's like the second or third biggest college in the country or maybe the first it's huge it's crazy and you know i haven't been to orlando for 23 years or something and um just getting to stay downtown and there was a big football game on saturday mm-hmm. night it was it was nuts it was like it was like it's fucking spring break or something it's crazy like just college kids everywhere and just the bar scene here is is bonkers so anyway it's been fun and i went to disney world yesterday for the first time in many decades and that was a lot of fun too best ride yesterday go it's got to be the pandora fucking the avatar <laughs> ride the ride of the banshees or whatever it's called what, is that, it what kind of ride is, is it like a roller coaster type no it's it's like one of those i remember when the back to the future ride came out at yeah, yeah, universal yeah. studios like decades star ago tours was, style but more this is it's it's the big dome it's like the big enormous auditorium sort of dome and you're on this banshee set up and that moves and then you're looking at a 3d screen a huge 3d screen in front of you gotcha okay um but it's immersive and it's really fun and very inventive and beautiful and you know james cameron of course um supervised it all himself so he's got his fingerprints all over it it's it's pretty darn fun i I really enjoyed it but mostly just walking around that pandora world at the animal kingdom and walking around the world showcase at epcot center where they're having a big wine and and food festival i just my favorite part of the disney parks experience is just how much attention to detail there is you know i love all the imagineering stuff i just i'm not even that big of a ride guy i just like walking around the world it's fun being there it's unbelievably expensive to do it. It was like almost 200 bucks for a oh my park hopper ticket. God. But it was fun. I had a really good time. I put in a 14-hour day, logged about 15 miles, about 40,000 steps. So Hell yeah. All right, Matt. We haven't done a contemporary new movie review podcast in quite a while, which is fine. You know, We didn't have a, a ton that was begging to be discussed, but this time we're going to do a little lightning round movie review. We got The Sisters Brothers. We have A Star is Born. We have First Man. And then we're going to finish it up with Bad Times at the El Royale. Fun batch of movies, and we'll briefly start with The Sisters Brothers. Sort of a minor awards contender i would say it's not getting a lot of hype i think it premiered at venice 
I think it I think it was at Venice and Telluride, I want to say. And I, I feel like it was a um, awards contender maybe for Riley up until everybody saw it. <laughs> yeah. And then and then not so much. Not so much, I guess. It's uh it is you know, walking on the theater, I found it to be a profoundly odd movie. There's not a lot of I mean, I mean, there's a pretty clear narrative structure to it, but it's it's from scene to scene, like especially the first half of the movie, there's not a ton of conflict happening. Uh, the sister, the eponymous sisters brothers, uh, Joaquin and John C. Riley, chasing after uh, Resumed and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, it involves a crazy chemistry experiments. <laughs> <laughs> that helps you divine gold from dammed up rivers. And we have these two assassins chasing two other guys. So it's pretty simple there. Just kind of weird nihilistic stuff going on throughout the whole movie and then played for laughs. Is this what you were expecting going in? No, I don't know what I was expecting, but it certainly wasn't this. I kind of hated this movie, Oscar. <laughs> Ordinarily, I, I usually sit through the credits even for movies I dislike just yeah. because I'm you know, trying to pay my respects and I'm a completist, so I like to see a movie from you know end to end. I, I got right up and walked the fuck out of the theater. I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of incensed by how just odd and tonally all over the road this, this movie is. I don't know what the hell they were attempting here, but I can't imagine anybody feels that they stuck the landing. This movie is so odd. Yeah abhorrently violent but then silly all of a sudden like you said it turns into sort of like a movie about chemistry and then weirdly there's like some really gruesome deaths that happen to a couple of the main characters out of the blue like i, I don't know what the hell is going on in this movie i i can't say enough bad things about it it was so strange for me to see this and the ballad of buster scruggs both of which i hated right before going off to Almeria, where we basically spent a week <laughs> singing the praises of everything Western and talking about how much we love Westerns, how much Westerns mean to us, and oh, aren't Westerns the best? Meanwhile, in the back of my head, I'm thinking the, the two most recent Westerns I saw were both bad. Yeah, and they're the two most high-profile Westerns probably this year, right? For sure, yeah, in a long time. The, the thing about this movie, it is angry and violent and brutal, played for laughs the entire time, which doesn't make sense at all. And then they, they're asking you to care about this brotherly relationship with these two sort of really bad people. I mean, Joaquin's evil. He's an evil, evil man who just doesn't give a shit about, you know, massacring all these people. And then John C. Riley's a terrible enabler of, of Joaquin. He's as implicit as it gets, but he's supposed to be this sympathetic character. Yeah, and just from there, it takes this weird right turn to chemistry experiment where they're supposed to be having sort of this fun, joyful time by the river. And it gets just more brutal and weird from there. Uh, I didn't hate it because it was so weird. I respect just an, an odd movie. <laughs> sure. But it is extremely off-putting, to say the least. I will say just to try and find a tiny little silver lining um i do think the opening sequence particularly opening shot is pretty brilliant and it really got my hopes up very early and then it was all kind of downhill from there but it starts with this incredible shootout in the middle of the night in in the dark and you see nothing except for what gets illuminated by these gunshots which is a pretty cool way to open the film yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, there's some well-filmed stuff, and, you know, the scenery filmed in Europe is, is pretty cool. But besides that, uh, you know, it's sort of a waste of all these amazing actors. And, yeah, and there's, like I said, it's it's sort of just 
jumbled together scene to scene this this journey there's no strong sort of narrative bent or propulsiveness it's just just a sort of random shit after random shit yeah and it's 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 not very satisfying and uh there's a reason it's not being talked about in the awards talk it's directed by jacques odiard uh who's the guy who did that incredible movie a prophet uh about a decade ago very talented French filmmaker, but this to me just seems like somebody who didn't know what film he was making. Yeah. You know, who didn't know what tone he wanted to strike, so he just sort of strikes all of them and it comes across just tonally cacophonous. Yeah, and if this was the tone he was going for, it was a massive miscalculation. So that's that. We never need to talk about it again. Okay, and uh, and we won't. <laughs> all right, let's move on to uh, A Star is Born and going from a really unhyped movie to the most hyped movie of the year. People are talking about this being the first movie since Silence of the Lambs to win all big five Academy Awards. Could happen. Could happen. Uh, We'll be hearing a lot more about this movie in the coming months. You know, my history with this (laughs) franchise of remakes, I think I've only seen the Streisand Christopherson one once, and I think I only saw it like 20 years ago. So this is not something that like I'm an obsessive fan of or anything. Um, so I, I, you know, I came into this movie pretty fresh, as I feel like I'm wont to do. Uh, I came in sort of wanting to dislike this movie just because of all all the hype. You are pretty invested in this film in our fantasy league, right? I am. I, you're, I you're, own you're relatively the movie. invested. I own the okay. movie. I own one of the screenwriters. I think um, Eric Roth. Yeah, Eric Roth. But I, yeah, I don't think I have anything else. But yeah, but I do own the movie, so that will get me a bunch of nominations. I don't own Bradley Cooper, who whose triple threat here is going to garner a lot of. But the reason that I bring it up is because you're invested in the film, and yet you weren't. You, you're, you're basically saying you weren't necessarily confident about how good it was going to be. Like you weren't necessarily looking forward to it. You didn't think it was going to become. Mm-hmm. What it has become? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I, I, I had seen the reactions. I saw it, you know, four or five days after it was released or whatever. So I, I knew that everyone was, was falling in love with it. And But, you know, just something about it, just it, it didn't seem like it was going to add up. Um, you know, first-time director, like, I like Bradley Cooper fine, but I just I, I didn't see this movie being, you know, as, as good as it was hyped up to be. And, you know, one of the main reasons is, like, I... For something like this to work, the music has to be terrific. And, you know, that's one of my big takeaways was the music actually got me. Like, you have to be invested in the music. You have to like the music. I thought the music was pretty darn great. Despite my wanting to not love this movie, I ended up uh, sort of falling for it. You're, you're in good company. People seem to be uh, really quite taken with this film. Yeah. Um, I was in the Uber yesterday on the way to Walt Disney World, and uh, she was just an Uber driver just listening to some, I don't know, Central Florida adult contemporary, and this song came on the radio, and I was like, oh, what is this song? This is great. What is this song? I love this song. It's so great. And then I... A uh, few bars in, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's it's shallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's being played on the radio, and it I mean, it gave it literally was playing as we're like rolling up to Epcot Center, and uh, it was giving me goosebumps, man. It is it is a hell, it's a barn burner of a song, mm-hmm. and it absolutely needs to be because if that scene doesn't play, and if that scene doesn't blow the doors off, and that you know, rolling at that big Lady Gaga voice doesn't give you chills then the movie obviously doesn't work i think that the movie up to that point is pretty phenomenal and uh, everything that i had heard was basically uh coming true and uh it's the best scene in the film and i don't think it ever really recovers after that mm-hmm. um i don't think the movie is is bad i am not crazy about the second half of the movie 
to the point that I found myself coming out of the theater a little bit disappointed, or at least I had allowed my expectations to creep up to unrealistic heights by the time I saw it. Sure. Um, I've only seen it once. I probably need to revisit it again. But I think the nature of this story, which is consistent with the other three, you know, this is the th- fourth, this is the third re- remake of this film now. And and um, even though I haven't seen all of them, I'm pretty sure they all end the same way. And it obviously doesn't end well Yeah. for the, for the male character. So I think just by nature of how dark things are going to get, you know, the movie's just going to be kind of a downer in the second half. And I feel that this movie has a very rushed third act, which bothered me a little bit. We can get more into the specifics of that. But yeah, I think it's just the first half, which is pretty much just an extended date, right? You know, like it's they meet, they fall in love. They finally end up on stage together. That's basically the first hour of the movie, and it absolutely rocks. From then on, as things get weirder and more disparate and darker and sadder, Bradley Cooper's first-time director foibles become a little more apparent to me. That The second half feels a lot clunkier. That's definitely true, and this movie takes a while to end. You know, but part of that is, you know, it's sort of a tough conundrum for them, right? Because you need that first hour to set up the relationship, and it's absolutely necessary, and it's in a world works so so well but then you kind of do need to take your time because there is a there's such an extreme passage of time that occurs in this movie and it and, and that in itself is also sort of necessary but it also is such a downward spiral you know from that start there's not a lot of ups once once we get to the apex here and then you know the last i don't know 70 75 minutes it's just straight downhill part of it feels rushed but part of it also feels too long if that makes sense i think i agree and disagree with you there I, I i think the movie oddly is too long and yet the third act feels rushed to me yeah no no i mean i don't have a fix for it necessarily but i really feel like they they race to the end in the third act to the film's detriment that's saying both of those things can be true right yeah so uh but i'm not sure you want to linger in that third act too too long either fair right yeah yeah, an, an extra twenty minutes of padding to bring this up to around three hours, um, just to you know, just to increase the the sadness quotient. I, I don't think <laughs> would have been the right move either, right? Fair. Because yeah. because I I think people will see the writing on the wall, or especially if they've seen the movie, they know what's going to happen. So you, you don't want to belabor that point. And then everything after the Grammys. I mean, I, I think I think you do sort of want to race to the finish a little bit. I just think by nature of the of the story and the fact that. You know, it's so ingrained in a lot of people's brain. Well, what's going to happen? Uh, yeah, I'm not too mad with, with with how long it takes. I mean, I, I guess what you're saying is that you would have liked to seen uh, a little more expediency in, in in the middle third of the movie. Yeah, I'm still trying to put my finger on exactly why this movie kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I, 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 it's good, and I understand why people like it, and I do plan on seeing it again before you know award season really ramps up i just can't quite love it for some reason it just didn't quite get there for me i'm still trying to put my finger on exactly why Uh, you mentioned the grammy thing (sighs) boy um i don't know if i've ever (laughs) i don't know if i've ever like i I turned away that was like the scariest yeah i wanted to crawl under my seat i i can't remember the last time a scene made me cringe like that it's right up to the point of being unrealistic that you know that a security guard or something wouldn't have intervened at that point, right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, you, you think about modern times. If it's like uh, I don't know what relationship this would be, like a Gwen Stefani, Blake Shelton situation or something like like. <laughs> but, but 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 if a huge star like starts rambling, like I think you wait and see what's going to happen, right? 
Oh boy, it was rough. Yeah, it was rough. But I mean, I I, I get it. It it needs to be rough. Mm-hmm. It's 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 gonna it needs to be bad, and it needs to happen on the biggest stage possible. And and that's exactly what happens. But oh boy, yeah, it's it's rough. It's it's very rough. And then you know when he breaks down with her at um, at the rehab. Uh, I mean that's that's his Oscar scene, right? Yeah, like where he when he loses it. That that is the scene that they will play uh, in February when he gets nominated, and he fucking brings it. I mean, he really. I don't know what he needed to do to get himself there, but uh, but yeah, that's a big that's a big kid performance in that moment. And again, it, it's it's getting a lot of stuff done very very quickly. It's it, in a way, it's almost you know emotionally and dramatically kind of rushing through this stuff. But yeah, I, I get it. I understand. I know there's a lot of ground left to cover and we're well into the third act and it's time to wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted this movie to land and I really wanted it to resonate for me. I wanted it to draw out the tears and it never really did. That shallow scene is something that I'll watch on YouTube over and over again yep. You know, for the rest of my life because uh, it's phenomenal. But other than that, there just wasn't really any other magical moments in the movie that I, you know, stood out for me. Yeah, I mean, I think what you might be getting at, and this is the scene that sort of, I thought was was narratively, I guess, effective in a way to wrap up the movie, but also it's the one thing that did feel extremely rushed, was the sort of turning point at the end when uh, Gaga's manager talks to Bradley Cooper, and that sort of sets him finally down his you know his his final turn. That 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 switched the momentum really really quickly, and sort of felt a little unnatural and a little too convenient in my mind. Yeah. Plus his character. I'm glad you brought him up because I I'd forgot I'd forgotten about him. I guess I sort of blocked him out because um I really feel like that is the most cartoonish character in the movie and he's in a movie filled with like authentic and fully drawn characters by a, an incredible ensemble of actors. We can get into all of them. He really felt mustache twirly to me. Yeah. And uh, I was not buying him in the least. And he felt very, like you said, just convenient. You know, a, a, a character purely built out of plot contrivance. Yeah, I, I guess you need that character. But, I mean, we don't see any scenes of him without playing off of Gaga or Bradley Cooper, right? So, like, we don't really understand what he's getting at or what he's after. I mean, I guess, I guess we just assume he's, a, you know, just a shitty bottom-line manager who's exploiting his, his talent, right? Just a suit, man. He's just, he's just a suit. Just a fucking suit. We all hate him. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's some convenient stuff where... You know, he makes sort of, you know, these cynical pleas to Gaga for her career. And then, you know, we flash forward and she's she's compromised a little bit with him, but basically has gone gone his direction instead of her sort of more authentic direction that that Bradley Cooper would have approved. And we, we don't see any of the sort of back and forth or negotiations or decisions by her in regards to the direction of her career. So so that's sort of. In the background, we just have to assume that switch has occurred and, and those talks and, and her decisions have happened off screen. So so that was sort of, that felt a little rushed in my mind too. I, I guess that's the fast forward to, I guess when her hair changes. <laughs> well, there's there's kind of inconsistencies as well, which, which rub me the wrong way also in terms of like, there's things he wants her to do. You know, he wants her to use the dancers. She decides not to use the dancers, but then she sings that horrible song on Saturday Night Live, which seems like something he would have he he would have insisted she write a song like that or co-wrote it, even though she insists that it's her it's her song. I don't know. There's there's an inconsistency to the decisions she makes along the way, where it feels like the film left out scenes that would have fleshed some of that out. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a movie that was butchered in the editing room necessarily, but I do feel 
holes there. Uh, the one that um, really jumps out to me is when they go out to the desert. It's supposed to be in Arizona, but it's outside of Palm Springs where that uh, uh, windmill farm is. Yeah. And it's when he's going to discover that Sam Elliott sold the land or whatever that, that his dad was buried in. And it just, it, it, it happens so quickly and you just feel like there would there should have been one more scene where Cooper and Gaga are on the land. I just, it's, it feels truncated and sped up and it's missing something for me. And then he just goes, the next scene is just him going and cold cocking Sam Elliott. And that's one of Sam Elliott's best scenes dramatically, but I just feel like emotionally, I'm not there yet with the movie. I'm not there yet with that relationship yet. Yeah. And it feels kind of rushed, even though it happens pretty early in the film. I think that's a good point. Yeah, there are a lot of things that I I assume scenes were edited out, and they're edited out in a way that's that's clever enough where you don't lose the threads, right? Like, you you know, that that Sam Elliott cold cock scene, it it makes sense in retrospect, but yeah, it, it did feel sort of emotionally rushed for sure i just feel like a more confident and that's not even the right word a, a, a director with a little more experience i feel could have delivered that a little more elegantly yeah probably. so there's there's stuff like that in the film that really makes me feel the first time feature director mm-hmm. uh, aches and pains yeah sure o- on the whole it is obviously a pretty impressive debut especially if he manages to, you know if he ends up winning oscars for it not that that's unprecedented, but uh, it will be a pretty big deal if this thing ends up becoming an awards juggernaut. You know, I did like the movie. I, I I don't I don't know if this will end up on like my top ten list or anything, but I I was pretty darn impressed. And you know, I I think you need the music to be really good and effective, and it definitely was. Um, I bought the Gaga Cooper chemistry and the star in this movie, Lady Gaga. Uh, she is just fucking fantastic. She is fantastic. Uh, she obviously needs to be, and she delivers her. Her performance is great. Her voice is great. I find it to be somewhat of an underwritten character. Mm-hmm. I think the movie is much more interested in, in Cooper and his journey, which maybe is a symptom of the star also being the writer-director. Mm-hmm. I feel like she doesn't have much of an arc once she is born as a star. Yeah. And I think that uh, in the second half of the movie, she is quite underwritten and somewhat underserved. Yeah. I, again, I think that's sort of narratively convenient too, right? Like you need her to sort of be at the whim. Be of, the rock. Be Well, be the rock, but also be at the whim of her managers and sort of not, she, she has to sort of lose agency over career trajectory because, you know, it's all, it's all new to her and she's just pretty happy being the, being the star, right? Like it's just a, it's, it's, it's a classic tale, right? And that's why this, has been done so many times but i think her character is written pretty well at the you know the first half of the movie especially i had a good feel for for who she was and what she wanted and her sort of reluctance but also confidence in her talents and i like her you know i like her relationship with andrew dice clay who's very good he's one of my favorite very he's one of my very favorite parts good of the in this movie. movie man he's awesome um very subdued performance by him yeah he is such an underrated actor i mean i've been a fan for a while but the movie that really kind of sealed it for me was blue jasmine yeah which he's extraordinary in. And he's just, he's such a breath of fresh air in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it took me a second to even realize that was him. Yeah. Um, and he just, he absolutely, he just delivers in every single scene. Again, sort of in this category of things that I feel like were left on the cutting room floor that I would love to see reinserted. It seems like there's one missing scene between he and Lady Gaga. Yeah. There's like a, there's like something going on. They're sitting at a, they're like sitting at the breakfast table or something. And they're both, they both seem like they're on the verge of tears or like they want to say something or like they did just say something. And there's something missing there. And I want that because I feel like if you would have, if you could have spent a little more time with that character, then Dice Clay could be in that same supporting actor 
Oscar race category as Sam Elliott. Yeah, I mean, our our friend uh, Scott Henderson uh, texted me after the move after seeing the movie and said Dice Clay should definitely be nominated over Sam Elliott. I think one, I think one, just one more scene, and I think he's he's a contender. Yeah, it just feels like the movie sort of did him dirty by by not giving him just a little bit more meat to chew on. Sam Elliott's gonna win an Oscar for this movie, right? Um, Should we skip it to him now? Maybe. You, you think it's not big, uh, not a big enough character? Yeah, I, I, I st- you know, he, wh- how much screen time does he actually have in this movie? You know, he has basically three big scenes. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he's unbelievable in all of them. And I just, to me, this the narrative makes sense. Like he's a guy; he's got a great reputation. He's been you know doing amazing work for a really long time. Everybody loves the guy. He's he's had this wonderful relationship with Catherine Ross since the '80s. I mean, just and that now he finally has been given. A role that he can actually like sink his teeth into. He's never the, been this emotional ever. It's crazy. Ex- exactly, <laughs> and I think people are really responding to that. And basically, our main character's entire persona and voice and approach is tied up in how obsessed he is with the Sam Elliott character. And when he finally reveals that to Sam Elliott, and he does he does that thing where he backs out of the driveway and he's just right on the verge of it. I think he, I think he wins himself an Oscar in that moment. And his, and his final scene's great, too. With Lady Gaga, yes, when they're sitting on the floor. Yes, because he has the best speech in the movie. Yeah. And uh, and Eric Roth said as much when I heard him interviewed <laughs> the other day on, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was the treatment. He went right up to the point of sort of patting himself on the back <laughs> and said, that's his that's his favorite scene in the movie. He, think he feels very proud of it, thinks it's very well written. You know, there's, what is it? There's three notes or whatever, and every song is just a different combination of the same notes. Yeah. Um, it's really good, and it, you know it sums everything up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think this this makes a lot of sense. For I mean, this is the quintessential supporting actor performance, supporting performance. Let me ask you this, Matt: Could you see anyone else do this role but Lady Gaga in today's world? I mean, that that was the thing that I, I took away uh, walking out of the theater was uh, I can't. I mean, there's literally no one else who who could have done this. I would agree with that. I mean, this is a situation where you really need a singer. You need to teach. A singer how to act you can't teach an actor how to sing right yeah i mean we already knew she could act it's not it's not like this is her first performance she's been in movies she's been in tv shows but this is really a situation where you got to lead with the voice yeah she's won a golden globe for acting i mean it's not like yeah she's she's on her way to, to egot territory right she's already got a, a grammy at least right yeah absolutely and did she win an emmy for american horror story i thought it was a golden globe oh golden globe okay cool yeah. well she's got time but so we know she's going to win an Oscar for uh, for co-writing The Shallow, and um, it'll be fun to see her. Do you think Bradley Cooper will perform it with her, or do you think they'll get a real singer to perform it with her at the at the Oscars, like they did with uh, Remember Me last year? <laughs> I don't know. I, I assume, I mean, if Bradley Cooper's up to it, go for it, right? Like, he can do his Eddie Vedder impersonation, give, <laughs> give it a go. Um, yeah. Uh, but if that's the case, he's probably already practicing. I, I think you're onto something. Let's have her do a duet with Eddie Vedder. Yeah, that would that would be great. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I freaking love that. Yeah. So I also do you think they sort of altered the script to make it more Lady Gaga centric? I mean, because that's sort of the, the nose and everything. Yeah, the nose thing. I, I thought it was pretty clever how they mirrored her actual career to what was going on in this movie yeah yeah i'm sure it was tailored for sure and and i'm assuming this was the decision to cast her was probably something that cooper hit on pretty early on i think we were I, i think you and i were at coachella the year that they shot this stuff in this because because all that stuff when they're at the festival that's all real like that's all you can see him in like the yuma or the the Gobi tent or or whichever one we, that opening sequence yeah 
the opening song. That's all at Coachella. And I, I want to say I ran into you there that year because this would have been three years ago, two years ago, 2016, I think, is when she performed yeah, at Coachella. And I'm pretty sure you and I were both yeah, there. Yeah, I think yeah. we were both there. Um, but I don't remember it being publicized. I heard about it at the time. I knew it was happening, and it coincided with her headline because she was a replacement, right? I want to say it was Beyonce that year. And then Beyonce got pregnant or something, so Lady Gaga was a last-minute replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Cooper was just like, uh, you know, Eureka, she's she's performing. Let's let, let empty the truck. Let's do Let's this. Do this you know? thing, like, uh, yeah. start rolling the camera right now. So I think it was just sort of sort of serendipitous. But I find the um, the performances in the film to be really interesting in terms of how he approaches them because they're so intimate, even though those crowds are real they are such a sort of afterthought. Like the camera never really lingers in the crowd. The camera is always right up in the face of the performers. The crowd is always sort of like out of focus. I think it's a really smart way to approach this stuff. I agree. I, I thought those crowd scenes were really, really well done. Um, the concert scene is really, really well done. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the difference in how those scenes are typically shot. There's no, there's not a ton of like uh, widescreen shots of like, oh my God, look at the big crowd type things. Yeah, and, and they keep it all sort of focused uh, side of the stage. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was super effective. And, you know, I, I obviously recognize Coachella. So, I mean, the the big concert scenes, wh- wh- where's the where's the main one? Where's the shallow? I think I want, is that at the Red, is that Red Rocks in... Um, could be. In uh, Colorado? Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's what I was thinking. It's either there, I think it's supposed to be in Arizona, but it to me it looks like the Red Rocks in, in Colorado, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, and then there's something that they, there's something at the Greek theater in LA as well. But yeah, I, I really, I really dug all the, all the, the live performance stuff. I thought it was really interesting. It's all shot by uh, Matthew Libatique, mm-hmm. who's uh, Aronofsky's guy. Nice. And there's just a nice sort of like visceralness to it all and, uh, and an intimacy. I mean, it's right up in your face. And as a result, particularly that first half of the film feels very, very uh, intimate. This movie's going to get nominated for Best Picture. It's going to get nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. It's going to get nominated for Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor. Which of those do you think is going to win, Matt? I think it's got a legitimate chance to win Best Picture just because um, it's critically beloved and it's also a big hit. Mm-hmm. I think it has a legitimate chance uh, for Cooper to win Best Actor because uh, I think people are going to like sort of like the narrative of, of this boy makes good. I think Sam Elliott is a slam dunk. I think Lady Gaga and Eric Roth's screenplay, well, he's not the only writer, but the screenplay, I think those are long shots. I think that Gaga's amazing, but I think she's uh, I think she's underwritten. And I also think that the script, with all due respect to Mr. Roth, is a little clunky. Mm-hmm. So I don't see this sweep in the big five. Yeah. I think picture, actor, supporting actor uh, are very good bets. I think actress, director, screenplay are going to be longer shots. And I, I think there's a pretty decent chance that Koran wins best director this year and Star is Born wins best picture. Okay. I think we're going to split again. It's just too strong of a year. There's just such an incredible diversity of films coming along in the next couple months. I have a hard time imagining Roma connecting for picture, it just, you know, films that are not in the English language just struggle to get nominated for Best Picture, let alone win. But I could see Quran beating Cooper for Best for best Director. I'm going to say I think Gaga has a better chance to win than Bradley Cooper does for Best Actor. Yeah, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm struggling now to, to decide, to try and figure out who's Gaga's biggest competition at this point. It'll be interesting to see whether they run Olivia Coleman from The Favorite as actress or supporting actress. Uh, I, think I, I see that- her as supporting actress in most of the forecast but i guess we could just look and see what what she's being bandied about by the studio right i don't think they've made a decision yet she she is the star of, of the favorite she is that is the lead performance she's she's top build 
I mean, it would be category fraud to run her <laughs> supporting, <laughs> but I that weirder things have happened. You know, they've done it before. Gotcha. So, and if she if they did run her best actress, I think it'll be a really interesting race between her and Lady Gaga. All right, should we move on to first man? Let's do it. Oh, uh, just before I forget, uh, in the category of incredible supporting performances, again, somebody who feels like we're missing one scene. It could have been a really juicy character, and he's really wonderful in it in the little screen time he has. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. How fucking great is he in this movie in this tiny little role? It's just so great to see him on screen. Like I, I just love the idea of, of Cooper just kind of like just reaching out to all these guys, reaching out to Andrew Dice Clay, reaching out to Ron Rifkin, reaching out to Dave Chappelle, you know, reaching out to Sam Elliott. Greg just, Grunberg, uh, right? Greg Grunberg, yes. <laughs> Because um, this is because this is like a this is an alias reunion kind of thing, right? That's where Cooper kind of broke out was on Alias, yeah. And that's where you met Ron Rifkin and Greg Grunberg. Um, yeah, I think Chappelle and Cooper are buds. Actually, seems that way. I mean, the the chemistry feels real. It feels authentic. It's it seems like there's a rapport there. I, I love that scene, but it's missing something. And it, you know, there's there's stuff in the trailer that's not in the film between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just want more. Yeah, that's what that ultimately that's how this movie left me feeling. I, I just want more. You want the three hour cut? All right. I do, I do. I want the epic three hour Stars Born. I mean, that's how long the uh, the Judy Garland version. Is. I think the Judy Garland version is over three hours long. All right, first man by our boy, your boy, Damien Chazelle. Yeah, this movie has. There's been a lot of op eds about this movie, Matt. Too many. Yeah. Too many, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, For sure. And it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, we can get into the, the politics of it in a little bit. You know, this movie has not been as big of a hit as maybe some would have expected. Struggling. 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 And, you know, after seeing the movie, it kind of makes sense. This is not a very Hollywoody space movie. This is a more of a procedural type film than maybe audiences were expecting or wanting. But that said, this is still a technically uh, extremely impressive movie about the space race and about uh, the man who stepped on the moon first, Neil Armstrong. What were you expecting and what did you walk out of the theater feeling? I feel like the trailers were actually pretty accurate in terms of what we could expect from the film and all of the reviews coming out of Venice and Telluride, I want to say, echoed the idea that this was going to be a very cerebral character piece that was going to be about Gosling giving another very, you know, reserved, stoic, closed mouth performance. And I was completely ready for that and I was up for it. And to me, that seemed like the right approach for a uh, subject matter that we've, we've seen, you know, many times before. I feel like if you're going to tackle a story like this, subject matter like this, you, you're going to need an interesting take. You're going to need a specific, unique take. And it was pretty clear that Chazelle had that. A lot of people think it's just too audacious. A lot of people think it's just too specific. Mm-hmm. And I think it's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. For me, it feels very, very right and very specific to Chazelle. I believe he actually got this job before he even made La La Land. Yeah, like I, th- I, th- I think he's been developing. Like I think this was one of those. Hey, you just made Whiplash. Everybody loves you. It just got nominated for Best Picture. You're the you know you're the new it boy. Here's a couple of projects we've got on the back burner. Which ones do you like? Mm-hmm. And this is the one that he picked. And I think this is the first the first time he met with um, Gosling was for this movie, not for La La Land. La La Land happened later. So to me, this must have been one of those situations where just like the you know the Vunderkind had this great 
take on this material. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when he goes on to become the youngest person ever to win a Best Director Oscar, everybody's like, all right, well, he's clearly he's a genius. Better <laughs> let him do what, it, you know, like he knows better than we do. Let him make his weird, you know, intimate character piece about the space race. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people go into this thinking that it's going to be Apollo 13 and it's really much more Tree of Life, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, like it's much more a Malikian sort of understated character study about this man who is struggling to sort of reconcile his grief. Mm -hmm. I'm into it. Yeah. I, I, I love this movie. Like, I, I think this movie is phenomenal. I've seen it twice now, uh, once on the IMAX, which I highly recommend. It, I think it's one of the best movies I've seen this year. I'm obviously predisposed to support Mr. Chazelle because I think time will tell that he is quite possibly one of the most important filmmakers of his generation. I'm saying that based on only four features, but four features, three of which are legitimately fantastic. Whatever he is, 33, 34 years old, he's off to an unbelievable start. And um, and I, I, it's pretty rare that I encounter a filmmaker where I feel like he's reaching out of the screen and grabbing me by the shoulders and like speaking right to me. Yeah, it's really, it's it's very, it's invigorating. I'm 100% on board with the guy. And I think this is, I don't know if this is a better film than Whiplash or La La Land, but I do think that this continues an incredible streak by a very, very important young filmmaker. Yeah, I love this movie too. You know, it's crazy to watch La La Land and then watch this back to back and you know just the 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 uh, commitment to to a tone and just sort of disappearing into this movie yeah I, I just you know the lack of hollywoodness like i said the, the the no schmaltz the no rousing sentimentality just the focus on you know the best people doing the best job trying to achieve an impossible task i just, I just liked how that was so 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 cleanly laid out in front of us just showing you know all all the all the death and sacrifice that went into it and just sort of his trajectory as an astronaut and, and who he was and you know people probably are going to be off put by how how stoic and how closed in Gosling's performance is you know he's in full on drive mode here <laughs> yes <laughs> um but I, I think that's that's sort of perfect, and, and from what I've read, pretty true to Neil Armstrong's character in in, in real life, and you know, you, you kind of understand given the context why a character why a person like that would be almost ideal for for taking on this sort of task right space for whatever reason like has has never felt more more dangerous than it does here right the sp yeah, sp good point. spaceships have never felt more rickety you know i was thinking of a movie like gravity it, that just seems so almost cartoonish compared to a movie like this right how how real you know the, the 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 Gemini launch or whatever that was that's one of the best scenes in the movie and just the 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 extreme danger you feel you know I just goosebumps all over watching that stuff yeah I mean this movie's so handsomely shot uh, the emotion is there the, the this cast of characters is 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 so freaking I, I love seeing guys like Lucas Hawes and Patrick Fujit Christopher Abbott yeah. is in there. Yeah, the supporting cast is loaded. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were speculating that, like, during the casting of that Deke Slayton character, they're just like, "We need, we really need a Kyle Chandler type for this for this role." <laughs> well, I think we could probably get Kyle Chandler <laughs> for this role. Yeah, yeah. yeah Corey Stoll, oh, yeah. who is is such a delightful prick. I'm presuming that Buzz Aldrin and his family probably not crazy about this portrayal, <laughs> but 
I just love what an incredible contrast he is to um, uh, Gosling's stoicism. Yeah. Who else is in there? Uh, Brian Darcy James at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Karen Hins. Uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal cast of characters. Pablo Sh- uh, Schreiber. Yeah. Leah Schreiber's little brother as uh, Jim Lovell. Mm-hmm. So all great. But then so the movie secret weapon is Claire Foy, who is just wonderful. And I feel like there's been some controversy about, you know, is she underserved? Is is that character underwritten? Is Does she have enough screen time? Time. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not necessarily the person qualified to answer that question, but I've found everything she did to be extraordinary. I've Every scene she's in, I feel she just absolutely dominates. And uh, I was completely buying that relationship. And the, the, the final scene and the final shot of the movie really drove home to me how well-drawn that relationship is. I found it all to be very, very moving. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, I, I think she's, she's really well done. I mean, that's a character that could have verged on being shrill or or uh, you know just uh just just a little much every time she's on screen but she she brings the humanity and she's a great foil for for her husband neil and you know they're both dealing with this this tragedy in their lives and in sort of different ways but they you know they remain a team you know there's there's no there's no danger of them sort of combusting his relationship but there's you know obviously a lot of conflict and tension as there would be when you're dealing with these stakes the the whole thing just jived really well i thought the pacing was was fantastic and the propulsiveness to to the film leading up to all the different flights and 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 everything everything worked really well i mean that's the one things you you worry about a movie like this that that spans what 10 years is is that you know you you would have these random jumps in time you know we we complained about with the stars born but everything just melds together so fucking perfectly i love the time they took with with the apollo 11 mission and how sort of silent and and barren and and you know, intimate that 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 final scene really is. Again, it, it's just a, it's it's a new take on, on this sort of you know quasi well worn territory. But you know, he had an idea. He had a, he had a very specific take on it, and it just fucking it flies. One hundred percent, literally. I I get why it's just not really connecting with everybody. It doesn't feel like a you know like a mainstream down the middle crowd pleaser at all. In terms of my tastes and my interests and my you know proclivities, it, it really really works for me. He he really speaks to me, and I, it's just such a pleasure to watch someone's sort of instincts coalesce in real time. You know, like I watch the film, and every time he makes a creative decision, I'm just like, that feels right. That feels right. Mm-hmm. That's the right. I mean, again, maybe it's just the you know decisions that appeal to me, but I just watch and think to myself, God damn, his instincts are sharp. Mm-hmm. He is totally dialed in. And I feel the same way about Gosling. I've always felt he's a very instinctive actor. And maybe the nature of this closed-mouthed, stoic character is just, you know, rubs people the wrong way. But I watch it, and I, and I look at Gosling's face, and I just think, man, those instincts are right on. Like, I'm just, I'm completely buying everything. It all seems very consistent to me. And then when he finally, like, has this emotional catharsis at the end, which I didn't really see coming. I mean, I had been told that the end, that the climax is going to be very moving. But I didn't really see it going in that direction, and uh, it it really moved me. Like it all completely came, it all came crashing down perfectly in, in that moment. Uh, what's his name? The guy who writes for IndieWire, David Ehrlich. He had an interesting take on this uh, in his review. He said, "I felt nothing until I felt everything." <laughs> yeah, and um, and I really think that there is an incredible amount of discipline that goes into creating that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have Gosling playing everything so close to the vest, if you don't have him repressed for the entire film up until that moment, I don't think 
it lands as as well as it does. Yeah. So I think I really think you need that level of discipline in order to be able to make that climactic moment really fly. Yeah. And it absolutely does. And Justin Hurwitz's score is extraordinary. What an unbelievably talented guy Justin Justin Hurwitz is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's he's a comedy writer, he's a he's a composer, he's an orchestrator, he's an executive producer on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> like what a crazy career this guy has. Yeah, that's incredible. It's fucking Harvard guys, man. Let's briefly before we move on talk about the sort of quasi controversy that people have been, you know, op-edding about. Uh, okay. Which is the politics of this movie and the and, and the what what you perceive as the patriotism of this movie and you know the one take in regards to this that I've agreed with is that this movie is sort of a Rorschach test for that for you like do you if you think this is a, a patriotic movement or if you think this movie is playing on patriotism or not playing on patriotism you're just gonna you're, you're gonna go in with your own proclivities and, and take it from there um, I think this movie on purpose focuses on the one guy and then sort of takes all of that out of play and for good reason because that would seem inauthentic and and sort of antithetical to to sort of the point of this movie which is that this is a bunch of really smart really driven really stubborn people given a task and doing everything that they can to accomplish it and i don't think in that regard you know, patriots, patriotism or politics really come into play. This is not a, for me, it's not a conservative or progressive or anything kind of movie. Um, it's just people doing their goddamn job. And, you know, if you feel like there's patriotism involved in that, or if you feel like that's the motivation, I mean, there are some moments of like, you know, fuck the, fuck the Russians. We want to beat them. That's, that's <laughs> fine. But like, to me, there, there's, there's nothing in this movie that is outwardly showing any sort of politics. No, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a movie about politics. It's not a partisan film. It's a movie about uh, bravery um have you seen uh, free solo yet oscar i have not the uh, documentary no. all right i can't recommend it highly to you enough it's an, it's an extraordinary movie um i absolutely loved it and it, it 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 has a lot of the same themes as this which is just like um you know as aspirational bravery being very myopic about uh, achieving a goal mm-hmm. um in the face of death and to me, that's that's really what this is. It's not about patriotism. It's about you know risking one's life in order to achieve a goal that one perceives as being important for humanity. And I think the movie's very even keeled in terms of its politics. There's a really great sequence where this guy is reciting this Gil Scott Heron poem. Yeah, that's a great scene. Oh, uh, Whitey on the Moon, which is just great. It's got a wonderful syncopated beat to it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the only thing that comes close to uh, a jazz reference for uh, Chazelle in this movie, right? Yeah. Jazz never comes up otherwise, <laughs> which I'm sure was difficult for him to restrain himself. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's a really great little montage, and it's all about backlash, right? It's about people saying, "Why are we spending this money? Why are we killing people?" Like we, you know, uh, what's his name, the author who wrote Slaughterhouse Five, uh, Vonnegut. Yeah. Vonnegut shows up, and he's like, "It would be really nice if like we could make New York City livable instead of trying to send people <laughs> to the moon." And so I think the movie is really like very candid about maybe this you know what what was the point was this all was this a um was this a legitimate enterprise if it was going to cost lives and billions of dollars i think ultimately chazelle's take is yes it was worth it but the movie is willing to entertain both sides well it doesn't bang you over the head with saying it's worth it at all you know it, it, it leaves it up to you like that that's the point like it's giving you all the facts it's showing you what happened and it's not trying to sway your decision on whether or not it's worth it right it just it gives it to you straight which which i really appreciate and there is a shot of the american flag i mean i i after all the controversy when this came out at venice 
I had presumed that there wasn't going to be any sign or mention of the American flag. No, it's there, which, damn it. Which doesn't bother me in theory, but but when they when there's that shot, I'm like, oh yeah, the flag's right there. What are you, what are you people talking about? Yeah. You're you're concerned that there isn't literally a shot of somebody inserting the flag into the lunar surface? Yeah, what the fuck? That's so, so people stupid. are weird. Is does this movie get nominated for best picture considering that it's not necessarily going to be a box office success and people seem to be a little bit divided about it. I think it's sitting at like 88% on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment and I've heard a lot of people who just aren't into it. So yeah, I, mean, I don't think this is a slam dunk. It's like, you know, given the, the the 10 potential slots, I think there's a really good chance it does. I mean, we'll see how some, some other movies play out. I mean, it'll probably depend on the last few, not that many movies left that haven't been seen by anybody, you know? So it depends on how good Vice is, right? Um, or The Mule. Yeah, The Mule, exactly. <laughs> God, I can't, I mean, I've seen that fucking preview so many goddamn times now. Pretty great, right? Yeah, it's a really good preview. I gotta say, I'm I, excited for The Mule. <laughs> I, I hope it's, I hope it's good but you know given clint's uh, recent history I, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm highly skeptical we'll see it's fair but wouldn't it be exciting if um if bradley cooper was competing against clint yeah uh for a movie that he's in yeah. <laughs> for two movies that he's i mean and the fact that clint eastwood was originally supposed to direct the star is born remake and i think beyonce was in it at the time and he basically gave it to cooper after they made american sniper god so wouldn't it be incredible if this whole thing comes full circle and the mule turns out to be great and clint gets to compete against bradley cooper for a movie that he gifted him yeah that'd be awesome know, five years ago or whatever <laughs> all right should we move on to bad times at el royale let's do it all right, Bad Times at El Royale. Our guy Drew Goddard uh, wrote and directed this odd little tale of a Lake Tahoe resort. What year do we think this is? 1970. 1970? Okay. Crazy ensemble cast here. I didn't know what I was expecting going in. You know, uh, uh, this is, you know, Cabin in the Woods territory. I, I thought it was going to be something like that. You implored me to see this movie before we talked today. I was planning on seeing it, but you were you gave me the hard sell. This is a this is a odd movie and you know, it's one of those things where you're probably better off going in cold. So if you haven't seen it yet, maybe turn off the podcast, go see it, and then come back and turn the podcast on. You've seen this movie a couple times now and spoiler alert, you fucking love it, right? I did. I think this movie is unbelievable. But it took me it took me to the second it, I was about halfway through the second viewing and I was like, I think this movie might be a masterpiece. Like the first time I watched it a couple days ago, it was just too much. Like I just I was like, I don't know exactly what I'm looking at. I'm all turned upside down because I've been on, you know, planes and and jet lag and uh, different time zones and I was kind of uh, I was a little bit, you know, I was kind of exhausted and a little inebriated at this film festival and I was just like I'm I'm this movie I just I'm not I don't I'm not sure if I get it. It's so there's so much going on. It just it was um it all kind of washed over me. So the next day I'm like I got to I got to give it another chance because there's something there. I just need I just can't put my finger on it. And yeah, the second viewing it really clicked for me. I was like this this is this is an amazing movie. Uh, I'm really enjoying this, and I love everything that this movie is doing, and uh, and it's just sort of like reinforcing the fact that I think this Drew Goddard is a, a force to be reckoned with. I think he is much more of a writer than he is a director. Mm-hmm. If the movie had, if I had some uh, crit- criticism to lobby at the film, it's just that sometimes his directorial acumen is not up to the level of his writing. Sure. And I found myself thinking, wouldn't it be interesting to just like have a have a Tarantino take Goddard script. Yeah. You know, like an ostentatious visual stylist could do something really amazing with this movie. That being said, 
it, it's not a bad looking movie and there are some incredible directorial flourishes in it I would just say that like the level of the writing is really what and the performances as well are really what sort of elevate this thing for me but I, I think it's an important movie and I think it's a movie that is going to get lost in the shuffle here I feel like nobody's really talking about it I, I reached out to you I reached out to a friend of the podcast Ryan Julio recently and I feel like everybody's sort of shrugging their shoulders like oh yeah never even thought about it yeah I was probably just going to catch it later I really wish people would get out and see this movie because I think it's important and I think it's kind of amazing okay so let's start let's start at the end here um (laughs) work backwards so what did you pick up in that second view like what is there there and and why is it important oh boy where to begin I just love the construction of it all like I love the the nonlinear stuff and yet it never feels sort of self-conscious the way maybe something like the hateful eight does yeah I mean, it really follows a very similar trajectory as The Hateful Eight. And even though I'm actually a defender of that movie, I understand why it bugs a lot of people and why it's one of Tarantino's most pretentious movies. Where, to me, nothing in this movie feels affected. Mm -hmm. It all feels right, and it all feels elegant, doles out information in a really effective way. And it never feels redundant, right? Sure. I never feel like the movie is manipulating me, necessarily. It just feels like... uh, It just feels elegantly constructed. And I love the way we learn about these characters Agatha Christie style Mm -hmm. over the course of this thing. The the, the reason that you construct nonlinear stuff in a nonlinear way is because you want certain emotional beats to occur at a certain point in the narrative's trajectory, right? Yeah. I just love how sophisticated Goddard's approach is in terms of when he wants us to feel certain things and why. Mm -hmm. And there's certain big character deaths, but none of them ever feel like gotcha moments or like shock moments necessarily. They just feel like, oh yeah, dramatically, boom. That's exactly when that should happen. I also just love the fact that where this narrative lands and the characters that are less standing it 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 didn't feel cynical to me it actually felt kind of heartening yeah and i feel like a more cynical filmmaker like a tarantino maybe wouldn't have allowed certain characters to remain alive at the end and the movie surprisingly has kind of an upper of an ending it's actually kind of heartwarming in its own way (laughs) yeah and as a result it just i just left the theater feeling just so good and it just it's one of those movies that like really reef reef this and first man really refilled my um my inspirational cinematic batteries this week I enjoyed the movie. I came out thinking that that, w- that was fun. It, it's a really fun universe-building exercise, right? Uh-huh. And this whole world of this hotel is a lot of fun. And, and these characters have you know good backgrounds, and we have a good sense of who they are exactly by the time the movie ends. And I do like the way he doles that information. I do like the sort of nonlinear stuff. That's not, I mean, it's it's not uh, it's similar to the end of like Jackie Brown or something. So it's just, this movie just keeps doubling back on on, yeah. a, on a very short timeline, which is which is fun. But again, never redundantly, in, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you're seeing maybe the same thing from different perspectives, but you're always getting new information out of it. However, I'm not sure the threads really coalesce in in a way that I was maybe hoping for, and maybe this okay. is sort of you know cabin you know cabin in the woods stuff where i was hoping i was assuming there would be some some bigger reveals and, and more shocking twists than there ended up being so i feel like it was almost anticlimactic in the sort of way it ended or or the way everything sort of came to a head right but I keep thinking about this movie every <laughs> the, the whole time I've uh, I've left. You know, I saw it yesterday. It really has stayed with me. Just that world and these characters. I'm not sure it amounted to a whole lot, if that makes sense. And may, maybe my second viewing will will allow me to sort of uh, see through that. We'll see. Yeah, I will be interested to hear if and when you see it again. If if your opinion about it changes, because like I said, it just 
it it, it I, f- I left the theater the first time being kind of feeling kind of confused not confused in the sense that I didn't understand what was going on in the narrative but just confused as to like my own feelings about the film yeah that's the way I feel I'm with you but yeah on second viewing I was just like no no this is really there's something really interesting going on here the movie is at least it's a good 15 minutes too long I think you can you could probably shave at least 15 if not 20 minutes out of this thing it's two hours and 21 minutes which is too long and I think that is part of the reason that some people are keeping their distance yeah uh, because for such a what should be a really breezy affair it feels a little bit protracted mm-hmm. for sure it feels deliberate I mean especially the first half there are long monologues you know real long drawn-out Kubrickian style monologues yeah and then there's a really long scene around a dinner table not even a dinner table it's like a it's like a diner table in the they're like sitting having pie yeah Cynthia Revo and, and Jeff Bridges and that is also very very protracted also elegant and moving in its own way as well like it's a really interesting character moment between these two and I find myself thinking like this is really impressive and the performances are amazing the movie is taking its time to the point where you can feel like the audience being alienated I've seen this movie twice now and people have walked out both times. Oh, really? <laughs> walked out and not come back. Yeah, it had, it's happened both times. I don't know if it's a symptom. I don't know if it's an Orlando, a Floridian audience thing, but uh, I've definitely seen people just get fed up, get up, walk out, not come back. <laughs> That's interesting. So, yeah, so people get, get somewhat alienated by this stuff. Some people just aren't on board. For whatever reason, this this all really, really works for me. It, it made me want to – I went back and revisited The Martian uh, yesterday mm-hmm. just because I feel like that movie dovetails with my current obsession with this movie and First yeah drew goddard and a movie about nasa so uh i went back and watched that and um it's a it's a goofy movie it's a really strange movie but i just i just really dig goddard's style i find his dialogue to just be very very pleasing to the ear yeah it's just i keep using the term self-conscious it it just feels so much less self-conscious than something you know You, you can feel tarantino being so pleased with himself with every single line right whereas goddard stuff doesn't seem nearly as preening mm-hmm even though there is a certain amount of construction to it, yeah. So and I and I and I downloaded Cabin in the Woods. I haven't I've only seen that movie once. I remember really really liking it. I'm gonna probably watch it again tonight. It's a movie that intrigues me, and it's a movie that a lot of people love. Yeah. So I'm gonna revisit that. And these are these are the only two films he's directed, right? I think he's doing the new X Force movie, but I think at this point he's only directed these two. Yeah. Obviously has an incredibly deep roster of writing credits. Yeah. Because he comes from the. He comes from the Joss Whedon camp, right? Is he a Whedon guy or is he an Abrams? He's an Abrams, He's Abrams guy, right? Oh, he, Lost, he Lost, Lost in Cloverfield. Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. He's an Abrams and the, guy. Okay. And, and sort of, this movie does feel like Lost um, to me okay. in that... Because it's purgatory. It's really cool and there's a lot of mystery and intrigue and twists and turns, but it doesn't really amount to a whole lot. I, uh, you know, I mean, the cast in this movie is fantastic and the backstories are great. I mean, I love just the, the, the Hemsworth stuff at the end is, is fantastic. That whole backstory works really, really well. Yeah, there's a whole short film, yeah. right smack. <laughs> dab in the middle of the second act like all of a sudden we get a short film about you know a manson family cult leader which is just it's great it just it made me so happy hemsworth is extraordinary this is this is the best performance of hemsworth hemsworth's career right he's pretty darn good as thor man he's good as thor but i feel like he really gets to fly here i you know i haven't seen much with dakota johnson i guess like a bigger splash and social network yeah social network yeah of course and we said didn't we review the first 50 shades of gray i think i made you go see the first 50 shades of gray didn't i nope (laughs) 
Oh, I, I saw it. Okay. <laughs> I know. I think I think I asked you to, and then you, I think after I'd seen it, you changed your mind. Yeah, I declined. I'm sorry. Sorry I left you, you out reneged. on that loom. Uh, Jeff Bridges' uh, stuff is, is great. John Hamm is, uh, has a really, really fun role. John Hamm is so interesting because he's really obnoxious for like the first, I mean, he dominates the first 30 minutes of this movie yeah. and he's he's absolutely obnoxious to the point where I was like is this a bad performance like is John Hamm is is he bad like is this like the weird accent and then you realize what's going on and then all of a sudden it seems brilliant in retrospect yes <laughs> right <laughs> absolutely um yeah. but the uh you know the star of this movie I think is Cynthia Revo sure who is uh who's who's doing a lot of heavy lifting both singing and acting and uh I I've, I'm not familiar with her work at all but she yeah she, she she's great and her her whole character arc is good and 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 prescient as a lot of uh, articles have 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 stated about this movie it's sort of a, a me too type thing yeah i mean all, all the characters work like all the backstories are fun and, and no one is left behind and it all makes sense i i guess i just have to have to see it again and see how 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 it how it takes me the second time now that i know that i know everything in a roster that's so deep with talent i think the three people to really emerge from this are probably the three lesser knowns i mean hemsworth is great ham's great dakota johnson jeff bridges all great but the three who i think really really come out of this thing you know emerging as the three most interesting characters and the most impressive performances are the aforementioned arivo lewis pullman uh bill pullman's son Mm -hmm. who's really really wonderful and um and this uh kaylee spanny yeah who plays uh who plays rose the squeaky frome to chris hemsworth's charles manson if you will that's a that's a weird role that you need sort of a very specific take on and and and, yeah. and you buy her completely. I mean, that character could have gone uh, could have gone wrong and sort of been unbelievable and, and unsympathetic, but she sort of straddles the line extremely well. She's a youngster, right? Yeah, I I mean, she doesn't really I I looked her up and she doesn't really have um much of a bio on IMDb. Uh this is only like her third movie. She was in uh, Pacific Rim Uprising earlier this year. Oh. And it appears she plays uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's daughter in the upcoming On the Basis of Sex. Gotcha. Okay. So, but no, she's she's a newcomer and uh and she's really great. I mean, she's she's scary and weird and um mysterious and um beautiful. I mean, she's just she's got a lot of interesting things going on even though she doesn't have much dialogue. Like she's constantly just sort of the, this weird spectral force. Yeah around the periphery of this you know she's she's dangling off the chandelier she's literally walking the line uh between nevada and california Mm -hmm. um and she makes a decision that basically drives the second half of the movie i mean it completely changes the timbre of the of the film when she reintroduces or introduces hemsworth into the craziness yeah and that that's a great scene for whatever that stuck out with me just her phone call that she makes uh, yeah really good she's it's, it's sort of creepy and foreboding and and sort of very childlike at the same time any any final thoughts i mean let's uh, everyone should go see this movie because at the very least it's it's very fun and enjoyable and interesting and maybe maybe a masterpiece if you if you're if you're on matt knutson's level i used that word when i sent you the text yesterday and uh i probably shouldn't toss that word around <laughs> as often as i do it's just you know occasionally like a movie really connects with you you know because of whatever emotional state you're in and you just want to shout it from the rooftops and this is this is one of those movies like i just want to tell everybody i know to go see it because i want more movies like this i wish we could make movies like this a hit i just i watch a film like this and i think to myself ah, that's exactly what i wish 
were more common. Yeah. You know, your $20, $30 million star-studded, twisty, clever, uh, original. I mean, this is this is an original script. I wish we lived I wish we lived in a in an environment where we could be talking about Drew Goddard's script for hard uh, bad times at the El Royale in the um, original screenplay Oscar category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, really, this is the kind of film that I want championed like that. And I, d- I do feel like this movie will find a second life, sort of like Cabin in the Woods will. I mean, did. Sure. Um, you know, this will be sort of a, a culty movie going forward, I, w- I would I would wager. so. This movie will, will find its rightful place in the, in the dorm rooms of, mm-hmm. you know, 19-year-old film students very soon. All right, Matt, good talk. Any, any final words before we go? Well, the last time we uh, spoke about uh, contemporary films, it was um, about a movie that we both love, Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm-hmm. And i um, very excited to announce that Mission Impossible Fallout has finally crossed over to become the highest grossing film in the franchise. It was a little touch and go there for a while. It was looking like uh, Mission Impossible 2 was going to stay on top. But luckily, Mission Impossible Fallout is finally uh crossed over to become the highest grossing film in the franchise and that makes me very very happy i was so tired of living in a world where mission where the worst film in the mission impossible series was the highest grossing one right yeah folks these are the things that matt knutson worries about this is what keeps him up at night we finally we're at 791 million dollars which makes it the highest i mean not if you adjust for inflation and all that bullshit but at the moment 220 domestic 370 i'm sorry 791 worldwide so if you adjust for inflation it's number four but, uh, you know, who's counting? All right. Well, until next time, this has been We Like Movies. Say goodbye from Florida, Matt. Goodbye from Florida. I need the loving and I'm not to blame now. Got early in the morning. 